chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, we will be continuing on uh, looking at Luke's account of the Apostle Paul's trip to Rome. If you were not here last Sunday, I'd really encourage you to go online and listen to that message because today is kind of uh, part two. And we're only going to be looking at the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 28 because I don't want to keep you until after lunch. And so, um, last Sunday we looked at Luke's account in Acts chapter 27 of the Romans' attempt at transferring the Apostle Paul from Caesarea to Rome. Paul, if you remember, was a Roman citizen, and he had been under house arrest in Caesarea for over two years. He was facing false charges made by the Jewish leaders. Charges that he had violated the Jewish laws regarding the temple. Those charges could not be proven, but Paul had appealed his case to the emperor, as was his right as a Roman citizen. So he had to be transferred there. So Paul and the other prisoners were placed under the custody of a centurion named Julius. Good Roman name there. And Julius booked passage for them, first on a small coastal vessel, and then on an Alexandrian grain ship bound for Rome. Paul's friends, Luke and Aristarchus, were able to accompany Paul on the ship as well. The sailing from the start was difficult and slow because the winds were contrary, until finally the ship was caught at sea in a very powerful storm, a northeaster, what we might call a hurricane. We covered all this last Sunday. After many days in that storm, most of the 276 people aboard that ship had abandoned any hope that they would survive. But God, God sent an angel to tell Paul that not only he would survive, but so would everyone on board. But they would be shipwrecked, they would lose the ship, lose the ship. Paul relayed this information to the centurion, to the captain of the ship, to the crew, and to the passengers, expressing his confidence in this promise from God, the God to whom Paul belonged, the God whom Paul served and worshipped. And finally, with all other hope lost, these men listened to Paul. And they did as he instructed. And we saw that after two weeks in this severe storm, they finally came near to land. They had no idea where they were, but they really did not care. They just wanted to be back on land. And so they attempted to run the ship aground on a beach, but instead they hit a hidden reef, and the ship began to break up. They abandoned the ship, and just as the angel had said, all survived, but the ship was lost. Now, the first question you might ask is, why would God have allowed his followers to go through such a storm? And the second question might be, how does what happened to them 2,000 years ago apply to us today? Well, I will attempt to answer these questions as we look at what happened next 
on the small island of Malta. But before we do, let's review our big idea from the sermon last Sunday, which is also our big idea for the sermon today. And that is this, that our God has a plan for us to glorify him as he takes us through the storms of this life. We will face storms in this life. If you have not already, you will. Sometimes God delivers us from the storm. And many times we don't even know he's done so. But oftentimes he delivers us through the storm. And that's what he did for Paul. So, if you can, please stand for the reading of our text. I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed all of us because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. So the first thing that we see is that Paul was delivered from both the storm and from a viper. Another storm, smaller in scale, but no less deadly. So having made it safely through the breakers to the beach, they found out that the small island they were on was Malta. Malta's a small island, 17 miles long, 9 miles wide, about 60 miles south of Sicily in the Mediterranean Ocean. It had been named by the Phoenicians. The name Malta means place of refuge. Isn't that interesting? The native people were of Phoenician descent. And Luke tells us that they treated those who came out of the water with great kindness, even building a bonfire for them because they were all wet and it was cold and raining, the aftermath of the storm. Paul joined in with the others in gathering sticks and wood to feed into the fire. And as he did, a snake, a viper, came out of the bundle of sticks and fastened onto his hand. When the locals saw this, they assumed that the gods were really wanting to punish this man. He had survived the terrible storm only to die now from a viper bite. He must deserve this. 
Luke tells us they expected him to swell up and die. But once again, God protected Paul. He simply shook the viper off into the fire and suffered no harm whatsoever. This also got the attention of everyone, especially the native people, who now thought he must be some kind of god. It was very common in the ancient world for people to equate suffering with some kind of divine retribution. They would also equate wealth with divine blessing. This was common among all peoples, even among the Jews. Remember in John chapter 9, when Jesus and his disciples encountered a man who had been born blind. The disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned that this, this man or his parents that he was born blind? Whose sin is responsible for his blindness? Was it his parents or his? They equated any kind of disability or handicap or any kind of disease like leprosy was a punishment from God. But this was not true. Jesus answered them. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, God had a plan to deliver this man through the storm of blindness and receive the glory. And Jesus healed him and received the glory for it. This had been God's plan. Paul was not being punished by God by having a viper attack him or by being shipwrecked or by being caught in a terrible storm or by being attacked and arrested on the Temple Mount. This was not any kind of punishment from God. All of these were simply acts of divine providence to bring about the perfect will of God. Divine providence... We've heard a little bit about that recently. I want to remind you of what the Westminster Confession defines providence as. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Amen. That's a mouthful. One sentence, believe it or not. Now we could spend a few days unpacking that. But let me summarize for you. All things happen according to God's divine will and purposes. Chief of which is the praise of his glory. That's the chief purpose for everything that God does. That he might be glorified because he is worthy to be glorified. So as I stated last Sunday, Paul's arrest on the Temple Mount afforded him the opportunity to testify of Jesus before thousands of his Jewish countrymen on the Temple Mount that day. 
and then before the Jewish leaders on two separate occasions. And his two-year captivity in Caesarea had given him the opportunity to testify of Jesus with countless guards, with two Roman governors, and one king. And his time on board the two ships gave him opportunity to testify of Jesus to the Roman centurion, to the Roman soldiers, to the captain, to the crew, and to the passengers. Then his testimony was proven by God protecting all of them through the fierce storm and even through the shipwreck. And now, once again, God delivers Paul from the attack of a viper, giving him another opportunity to testify of Christ. Paul will be the very first person to bring the gospel to the people of Malta. And their lives will be changed for all eternity. And if you asked Paul, was it worth going through the storm, going through the shipwreck, and going through the viper attack in order to see a church established on the island of Malta, he would have said, absolutely. Absolutely. And he would do it again. So, This is what we mean when we talk about the providence of God. Things happen, and even if we can't comprehend, how in the world can this anything good come out of this? Even though we can't comprehend it, even though we can't figure it out, God knows. And we can absolutely trust Him. We can trust that God is working in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And he's working for our good and for his glory. Just as Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, which he wrote before this, in Romans 8.28, we know these words. He wrote, We know that for those who love God, so that's speaking of believers, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose all things without exception how I don't know I don't have the answers for that but God does Paul wrote this Paul believed this and Paul lived accordingly and we should as well No matter what our circumstances, God is in control and God will use these circumstances for good. I guarantee it. I've seen it over and over and over and over again in my own life. Listen to me. If Tom Poffenberger hadn't decided to beat me up on a regular basis, I may have never gotten to know Jack Weatherford. No, I'm serious. Jack and I are completely different people. I'm telling you. Other than the fact we're both very intellectual. And humble. humble. Thank you. Thank you. But we probably would not have become good friends. Best friends. He was my best friend in grammar school. They didn't have middle school where we were at, so we were, we were stuck together all the way through eighth grade, right? And if that hadn't happened, 
then I don't know that Jack would have come to know Christ. And, and God has used him powerfully over the last, you know, uh, few years. And so God has a plan in everything we face, in everything we go through, in every hardship, in every blessing. God has a plan. He's working. And so we see in our text that not only was Paul delivered, but Paul is then used by God in verses 7 through 9. By God's providence, when they came ashore at what is now known as St. Paul's Bay, they were near to the land belonging to the Roman governor of Malta, a man named Publius. And he showed great hospitality to Paul and the others. He provided them with food and shelter until winter lodging could be arranged for them. Remember, they're going to be on this island for three months. No sailing took place between November and February because it was just too dangerous to sail on the Mediterranean Sea during that time. And so they're stuck on Malta, but until they could arrange lodging for all of them, Publius hosted them on his property. And during this time, Paul was made aware that Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him, prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. Now Paul's prayer acknowledged his absolute dependence upon God for healing. Paul did not have the power to heal. The power to heal is God's power, right? But Paul laid his hands on him, affirming that God was working through him in the healing of Publius's father. Well, needless to say, once he was healed and restored, the word quickly spread that God was working through Paul to heal. And so the rest of the people on that island who had diseases or sickness also came to Paul and they were healed. Paul and his friends were exactly where God needed them to be. And they were able to do exactly what God needed them to do. Because these miracles of healing then opened the door for Paul to preach and teach the gospel to the people of Malta. They knew that God was working through him, elsewise he couldn't do the miracles. That's why we call them attesting miracles or an attestation. This power was given to the apostles to attest to the fact that they were men sent by God. So listen to them. Because far more important than physical healing is the need for spiritual healing. Amen? Every person on that island, without exception, except for Paul and his two friends, needed to be born again from above. They needed to come to know that they were sinners. That they were spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. And that they needed a savior. But not just any Savior. They needed Jesus. The Savior sent by God the Father. His own Son. Who He sent to suffer and die in our place. Paying the penalty for our sins. And crediting us with His perfect righteousness. And when we believe and call upon Him for salvation, we are saved. We are born again. We are raised 
to new life in Christ. That is what every person on that ship needed. That's what every person on that island needed. That's what every person in San Felipe, Mexico needs. Every child at Sunshine Sunshine Hacienda needs. That's what every person around the world needs. And it's what you and I need today to be saved, to be born again, to be adopted into the family of God and to be given eternal life. There is nothing more important because the only thing that is eternal is the soul. The soul of men and women, boys and girls. And that is why there is no important, more important work that we can do than to share the gospel with others. For Paul also wrote that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So God, according to his perfect will, according to his divine providence, brought Paul to Malta so the people there could hear the gospel and receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And that is exactly what happened. According to church tradition, this was when the Christian church was founded upon Malta and Publius, the former Roman governor, became the first pastor of the church on Malta. Later became a bishop. And we see the evidence of this in the way the people of Malta honored Paul. Look again at verse 10 with me. Three months later, they get ready to sail. And he writes, they honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Luke seems to describe Paul's stay in Malta as a time of extraordinary missions work and blessing. After two years of captivity, Paul was given three months of freedom to do ministry work. The work that he had probably been sorely missing. After years of missions work, right? Now he was at it again for this three-month period. And God must have refreshed Paul's spirit and prepared him for what lay ahead in the rest of his journey to Rome. This closing verse tells us that Paul and his friends made such an impact on the lives of the people of Malta that they returned honor by putting on board the ship whatever these men needed for the voyage ahead. And when you think about it, we are so very blessed by those who have invested in us spiritually. Amen? We're blessed by those that have taught us, aren't we? Those who have invested time in us, have helped us to grow spiritually. Some men here in this room today invested in me, helped me grow spiritually. Some women in this room as well. And we are blessed to be able to invest spiritually in the lives of others. Especially when then they show us how much they appreciate it. It's always wonderful to be appreciated for what we do, isn't it? And so here we see that these 
men were honored by the people of Malta. Now, we don't do it to gain a reward from man. We do it as unto the Lord. Amen? But still, the appreciation is always welcomed. And I'm sure they welcomed it here. So how does what happened to these men apply to us today? Well, I want you to remember a few things. Take away these from this message today. Number one, remember that God is in control. No matter what happens. You can ask why. You can. And sometimes God reveals the why to us. But many times he does not. The good news is one day you will know. One day you will know. It might be in heaven, but one day you will know. Number two, remember that all things work together for our good. This is what God's word tells us, even when we can't see it. Number three, look for ways to be a witness for Christ in the midst of your circumstances. Because one of the predominant reasons why Christians are placed into storms in this life is because others are watching. They're watching us. Right? We claim to be followers of Christ. We claim, claim to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. We claim to be God's chosen people. And so that's easy to do when everything's going well. Right? But when we get into the storms and we still claim to be God's people, we still praise God for our circumstances, we still rejoice in who we are in Christ, people take notice. Trust me in this. And so we need to continue to trust in the Lord and to glorify Him even in the hard times. The Apostle Paul did just that. And last, remember that these storms in life, no matter what they might be, no matter what form they take, they are but momentary light afflictions. Oh, but pastor, we're talking about, you know, a terminal diagnosis. Momentary light afflictions. Oh, but pastor, we're talking about, you know, falsely accused and imprisoned. We're talking about, you know, terrible accidents. Momentary light afflictions in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. That's the proper perspective. Our life here is but a moment of eternity. If you had to suffer from day one until day 89, it would be momentary in light of the eternal weight of glory that awaits you as a redeemed child of God. Because we will spend eternity with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. Nothing compares to that. And that gives us the proper perspective for what we are going through. And remember, God has a plan. God has a plan. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity for us to be here today, to gather together in Jesus' name, to lift our voices, to praise you, to praise your Son, to give thanks, Father God, for the mercy and grace and love that you have poured out upon us through your Son. We thank you for Jack and Joanne being here today. We pray, Father God, for your hand to be upon them. We pray that you will bless the rest of their travels their vacation time, the birth of their grandchild that will happen this week. Uh, We pray for your hand to be upon uh, the mother and and the child and that all will go according to your divine plan. We pray, Father, that you will bless them in their journeys back to San Felipe and their ministry there. We pray that you will provide, Father God, for that ministry, provide for those children, for that school. Father, I pray that your people would have a desire to support missions, both locally and worldwide, to make an impact in this world. Because there's nothing more important than people coming to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so, Father, help us to remember this. That no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we are there, Father, for a reason. There is a plan There are many things that you are working in all of those circumstances, working inside of us, working in our loved ones. But also, Father God, you're using us as witnesses for you. So help us, Father, to trust in you no matter what and to praise and glorify you no matter what. And as a result, Father, we pray that many more would come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We give you thanks for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.